0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Sally Quinn, author and Washington Post writer here at the Post. It's been almost 50 years since the break-in at Watergate. Gaslit is the upcoming stars series that depicts Martha Mitchell's experience during the Watergate scandal from sitting in the front row while her husband, Attorney General John Mitchell, ordered the break-in to being drugged and kidnapped. I'm joined today by three people who brought the story of Martha Mitchell to life. Minyan Clyburn, a board member of Lionsgate and the former commissioner of the Federal Communications Commission, series creator, executive producer, and showrunner, Robbie Pickering, and actor, Allison Tolman, who plays the role of journalist Wenzuela McClendon. Thank you all so much for joining me here today. Um, Robbie, I think I'll ask you the first question. Um, you, Gaslit is built um, on the first season of your acclaimed podcast, Slow Burn, which you also created and executive produced.
2: No, no, so, no, no, no I, I didn't create that podcast. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I, I, well, can funny. I
1: give you credit anyway? <laughs> no,
2: okay. <laughs> no, so you produced, you produced it.
1: You produced it, yes. I think Martha Mitchell actually created it.
2: <laughs> yeah, Martha Mitchell
1: So, Robbie, it. let me ask you this question. Um, so it's it's based on Slow Burn, is that right?
2: Yeah, it's based yeah. on Slow Burn, which was right. a podcast that uh, Leon Nafok uh, created uh, for Slate. And, uh, yeah, it was all about uh, the first episode was about Martha, but really it's it, it, see it, the, the purpose of the podcast was kind of to immerse a new audience in, uh, you know, a real life feeling of what it felt like to go through one of these scandals. And of course it, it came out in 2018, 2017. So it was while the, all the Trump, you know, Russia stuff was, was boiling and all that.
1: So why, why Martha Mitchell? Why did you concentrate on her uh, out of all the characters in the Watergate scandal?
2: Well, I I mean, I personally have been obsessed with this whole period since uh, I was 11 or 12 and Nixon's um, funeral was on television. And I remember uh, my mom watching it (laughs) and just weeping. I grew up in uh, a small town in Texas my mother's very evangelical, conservative, and she turned, I I didn't know anything about Nixon, and I kind of asked, why are you crying? And she said to me, he was a good man, he was a great man, and the liberals did this to him. And kind of from that point on, I was like, I've got to know everything I can find out about this period. And, and I became really obsessed with you know all the oliver stone movies and books like uh j anthony lucas's nightmare and things like that and and kind of what i what i discovered along the way was that the the you know there's the oliver stone kind of all the president's men you know woodward and bernstein the heroes and the nixon the villain kind of version which i think is a is is a kind of a baby boomer version of uh, mythologizing of that period but when I read like particularly J. Anthony Lucas's book, Nightmare, and then in 2008, uh, Rick Perlstein's book, Nixon Land, it really made the whole period kind of more relatable. And the villains were a lot more relatable on a human level than I thought. And the heroes were a lot more, felt a lot more complex. We'll also say that Final Days does this as well, the, the Woodward and Bernstein book. I really love that book as well. Um,
1: did did and you I see Martha Mitchell as a hero or a villain or somewhere in between? I not see her
2: at all. Is 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 what I'm kind of building up to. I mean, I I really, in all the contemporaneous accounts and all all the you know, uh, John Dean's book, uh, it, it, any of these accounts, Martha Mitchell is really sidelined a lot, and. Um, You know, I wanted to make a show about the people around Nixon for a while. And it wasn't, nobody really bit until Leon's podcast came along. And what it did was really center Martha in the scandal. And that was such an inspirational thing to hear, um, especially because I knew about her. But she always felt tangential. And I think that was by design. Um, And then I started reading more and more about Martha Mitchell uh, once I got the show going and, you know, reading not only Martha's biography, but also, you know, like Nora Ephron wrote about Martha Mitchell, um, a a lot of people who kind of judged her um, initially because she was complicit in all these, um, all of Nixon's schemes before she started telling the truth about Watergate and that I've always written about Southern conservative women because of that duality. I mean, that kind of, um, they're kind of, to me, they're kind of punk rock because they're women, but you (laughs) wanna read them, but to me as kind of a liberal, they're they're punk rock for the wrong side. And I think that, you know, I grew up with women like that. um, And so when I'm writing Martha, I'm just writing, church ladies I grew up with and things like that and you know the show is really a study of complicity and Martha is because she was complicit in horrible things before Watergate and then started telling the truth it's really kind of a complicated hero and yeah the, the reason I did it was because it needed to be told it needed to be brought to a wider audience.
1: Allison, um, you are playing Wenzola McClendon, uh, who befriended Martha Mitchell and later wrote a biography about her. And uh, we've got a clip here that I'd like to play before I ask you a question.
3: McClendon residence. Oh, thank God, you answered. Martha. (laughs) Um... Can I call you back later? I'm in the middle of
1: something. No, 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 no. I have no time. I have no time. I, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm being held prisoner. They're holding me here. They're keeping me here. Who's keeping you where? It's got something to do with this Watergate break-in. McCord was there. I read something about it in the paper. I don't know what it is, but Okay, just... Martha, can you just slow down? All right? Start
3: at, start at the beginning. What's happening?
1: I do. Just... Martha?
3: Oh, God.
0: Can you hear me? Get away from me. Winnie?
3: Hello? Get away from me.
0: Hand me the phone. Get away from me! Martha! Please get away from me! No! Ah! Here, here, it's okay. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> here, here.
2: Ah!
3: God damn it! You
0: broke my finger, you bitch! No! Swish, <laughs> Hi, like a Allison. Movie. <laughs> That's
1: an incredible <laughs> scene. Allison, um, how how what kind of research did you do to uh, play Wenzola Mcclendon? And and uh, this was for for most people, the story of Martha Mitchell was so hard to believe and understand. Um, what do you think that Wenzola Mcclendon was thinking? What was she What was she believing?
3: Yeah, it's hard. You know, uh, there, I read as much as I could about Winnie when I took the role, but there's not a lot out there about her. Um, She exists really as a a tangent to everything that we know about Martha. So I think the more I learned about Martha, the more I was able to kind of get into who Winnie was and, and where she was at in this story. And I feel like the really interesting thing about this scene in particular is that like, there's this extreme moment, there's this extreme situation. And even Winnie, who knows Martha, who likes her, who's a friend of hers, doesn't really grasp what's going on. I think it I think it would be difficult to grasp how serious the situation was. Um, and and the fact of the matter is is that Martha is a woman who is easy to dismiss um, because she was kind of known for being silly and being larger than life and being this socialite. she was in a unique position to be gaslit and to have people say that, oh, she was just making things up. She was drunk. She was silly. She's hysterical. Um, and I think the fact that even Even Winnie, while concerned, can't really wrap her head around um, the severity of the situation is a pretty good indication that, you know, Martha was really vulnerable.
1: Minion, um, we have an audience question for you from Monique here in D.C. And she asked, former Commissioner Clyburn, what resonated with you about this story? And as someone who's involved in politics both personally, your father is Majority Whip Clyburn, and professionally as a former public servant, what warnings does this story provide?
0: Well, for me, the significance and the danger, um, both of those are reflected in the story. And what I mean by uh, this, uh, uh, how significant this series is, this was a woman who was marginalized, complex, yes, complicit, uh, but she evolved. And that evolution was not uh, fully embraced. And in fact, um, the powers that be did everything uh, they could uh, to minimize, to vilify, uh, uh, to, to ensure that her voice or that she was just a footnote in history. And that is the power and the danger in all of this, that consequential situations And individuals, uh, if they buck the status quo, if they push back, if they speak truth, uh, that there is dangerous, and there are powers that be in the media and beyond that will ensure that their voices are not heard. We have seen that throughout history with women, with people of color, and if we don't have um, outlets and outlets that are responsible with checks and balances, those stories, those complexities, uh, those those points in times in history that will inform and honestly warn us about uh, what could happen if we're not vigilant, those stories will not be told. So that to me uh, is, uh, in terms of addressing that question, uh, it's it's both evolutionary and revolutionary and enlightening as well as a warning to all of us.
1: Robbie, um, how do you think that what happened during Watergate will resonate or does resonate in, in our political discourse today, in today's politics?
2: I think I, what I hope is that people, one of the first questions we asked of our writers when they started working on the series was um, name a quality of yourself you see in one of the characters. The only caveat is it can't be a good quality. And I think if you can look at a lot of the people who are complicit in these horrible things and see times that you've done things out of ambition that go against who you think you are, or you've done things for, because you feel valued by somebody in power, which is what I, the reason I think John Mitchell was doing what he was doing, um, uh, or you've done you know things that you wouldn't usually do because uh, you think the ends justify the means as as liddy does i mean liddy thinks he's you know fighting for some sacred principles you know and if you can see yourself in those characters i think it 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 becomes modern because it becomes human and it becomes less about this singular point in history which is i think the the, the kind of version of this we've, you know, my generation has really been um, fed for so many years is that this was this singular point in history. Um, and my tech is more to um, show how, how these things keep happening, not because history keeps repeating itself, but because the capacity for complicity is in the best of us at all times. But the flip Allison, side of that- I'm sorry. Is the capacity for heroism is in the most flawed of us as all, at all times, which we show with Martha.
1: Allison, how did you work with the rest of the cast? Um, I'm I'm interested in how everybody sort of um, dealt with the story of Martha Mitchell, and did you find that some of your fellow actors um, were more positive about her or more negative about her and, and did you feel that you were changing as you went along in your views of her
3: i i mean i just think i loved her more and more as julia brought her to life i spent uh, um, almost all my time with julia roberts um uh so i was you know primed to really love martha <laughs> because i think julia did such a good job of portraying her um, so I just found her more and more endearing as time went on. Um, and I think, you know, at the last thing that I shot was a scene with um, with both uh, Julia and Sean. And seeing Martha um, in a different context, within the context of her marriage and in her home, um was really heartbreaking and really sad. It made me think a lot about how this kind of vibrant, interesting woman um was left destitute. You know, this incident that happened and the fallout from it really ruined her life, ruined her marriage, ruined her relationship with her kids and um I think it's just a really tragic story in the end.
1: Robbie, we have an audience question for you here from Heidi in Canada who asked, "Do you see parallels between Watergate and Stop the Steal?"
2: Um you know, we didn't really deal with the uh, kind of conspiracy theory part of, I see Stop the Steal as a conspiracy conspiracy theory <laughs> um, a, a movement, general movement in this country that's pretty alarming. Um, we didn't really dwell on that uh, aspect of that, This the the scandal. We really wanted to show an insider version of of everything that happened and really the show we wanted to concentrate on two marriages that between John Mitchell and Martha Mitchell and John Dean Modine and then characters like Frank Wills that never got their due um around the scandal we did have an episode about May Brussel who was a conspiracy theorist at the time um but we we kind of scrapped that earlier on to focus the series but there was absolutely you know the 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 Watergate period is absolutely the birth of of, of a lot of this widespread conspiracy theorist um, uh, uh, sentiment in the country. Uh, the idea that the government is uh, is is just you know plotting against the American people constantly. Megan, um, how do you think it,
1: that we should? Um or we can prevent the kind of fear and paranoia that existed during Watergate and during the Trump administration, Um, how can we prevent that from influencing us um, in the future?
0: By challenging ourselves to learn more, to not just rely on one platform or resource or individual for your news and information. You know, what we see here is how effective uh, having one source or, or having one power uh, dominate uh, the discussion, dominate the conversation, dominate the narrative. Uh, and and we—it it is comfortable often we retreat. We're complicit because it's easy, it's comfortable. Uh, but we have to continue to challenge ourselves to not be so, uh, to question authority, uh, to, again, read and consume more than uh, one point of view uh, because uh, it's growth for us. Uh, and again, it, it, it challenges uh, those who um, uh, would otherwise take advantage of that. And so, again, that's the beauty and the strength. And I, I, I would say, you know, the challenge of, for all of us to, to really go outside of our comfort levels and, um, and and not only speak truth, but to read and learn more about uh, what truth is and where it lies.
1: Robbie, when obviously Martha Mitchell came across as very outspoken and often very indiscreet, and um, she was the one who said the emperor has no clothes. Did you find it hard to portray her as a credible person? Because um, you could have gone over the line a little bit and made her seem crazy. Because sometimes she acted, and that's what the Nixon administration people did say about her was that she was crazy. But so how did you walk that line between presenting her as someone who was emotional and outspoken, but also a credible human being?
2: I, I think all the characters in the story are credible human beings. <laughs> I think that uh, I, I don't really write crazy people because I, I don't. I, I I'm very interested in the hot messes of history and this, you know, kind of bumbling stupidity. That you know, the reason I don't really believe in conspiracy theories is I just believe everybody. You know, most of us are just at the end of the day pretty, you know, buffoonish.
1: So you, you, you see, you see, Gordon Liddy as a credible human being.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I see him as a as a. Um, he's the most difficult one to write because he is you know, in the room, we're all writing people we know, you know, Um, you know, I'm writing church ladies when I write Martha, when I'm writing John Dean, I'm just writing me and myself in my 20s. When I'm writing Frank I'm writing something, somebody I know, you know, in Hollywood, who's gotten a bunch of fame, but didn't really want it, you know, like, that's how you make these characters real. Um, Gordon Liddy is the hardest one, because he is a zealot. But I, I grew up in a very evangelical Texan family. So I know a lot of zealots and I know a lot of you know people who are very intense about what they believe, almost almost in a comical way, and but kind of also a little dangerous. So, you know, I that's how you make these characters fun and funny and also three-dimensional. And dramatic, and and that's how you get all those things, and, and by writing people you know and writing yourself. And uh, I just at the end of the day, I believe not many of us are crazy. Most of us are just um, have very relatable reasons we're such idiots, you know, and we do so we stupid can all be things.
1: Relieved. I'm interrupt. relieved to hear that.
2: <laughs> What's that?
1: Allison, uh, we have an audience question for you from Scott here in Washington, D.C who asked, in hindsight, questions have been raised about the journalistic ethics of reporters taking advantage of Mrs. Mitchell's delicate mental state during the Watergate period. What are your thoughts on the subject?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair uh, question and a fair criticism, um, and one that's certainly you know relevant today. Um you know, Winnie as as she stands in the series is sort of a um, stand in for a lot of different uh, reporters and characters and people that were um, speaking to Martha during this time. So in my version of Winnie, there's a lot of uh, personal care there. She really cares about Martha and really wants what's best for her. Um, so it's not a question I had to tackle in order to do this work because it just wasn't really a question in the story we were telling within this series. Um, but I think, it's a, I think it's a valid question. I think that um, taking taking advantage of someone at their most vulnerable as a reporter to get uh, a scoop, is um, that's, it's a slippery slope that's really dangerous uh, ground.
0: And but Washington, I mean, D.C. is an opportunistic uh, type of place. <laughs> so is the rest uh, of the world.
2: So it really? should not surprise <laughs> us
0: that, you know, people I'm are shy. going to leverage whatever influence they have in order to break that story or to get that edge. So it's right. unsurprising. Um, it, it's often tragic, uh, but uh, not a surprise at all. Uh, we know these household names uh, because they have broken stories. They have um, embraced uh, individuals and they've gotten that scoop. Uh, and, and so um, that's a part of the beauty and the uh, tragedy of it all.
2: Yeah. And remember Robbie, that Martha what, was using these reports. Why
1: uh, did decide so. to call this movie Gaslit? Um,
2: well, you know, I we were looking for names to differentiate it from the podcast because I really went, I, I really took the Martha story and then blew that up, and the podcast went to some very interesting places. But it was different than the podcast, so I was looking at the Martha Mitchell effect, which is this uh, clinical psychological term, which uh, is when a person's accurate perception of reality is 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 deemed illusory despite being you know real and uh you know I was going to call it the Martha Mitchell effect and then uh one of our producers Sam was said doesn't that just mean to be gaslit and and it does and and we just thought that was more punchy more interesting totally more what the show is cuz the show is fun and it has this 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 thriller aspect to it this very dark aspect to it but it's also fun and and um and exciting, and Gaslet just seemed to hit that. I don't know. It was it was a <laughs> it was kind of a moment where we were all like, yeah, that's what we should name our baby. You know, <laughs> I didn't name my actual uh, baby. Gaslight.
0: Minion. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. I was wondering. Uh, that's not very <laughs> southern. <laughs>
1: Minion. Uh, we are talking about Martha Mitchell often being portrayed as as hysterical or crazy, and a lot of women in those days were, if they spoke out at all. Why do you think these stories have been kept so quiet for so long?
0: Because who, he who has the pen rules. And notice I use the pronoun he. And so yeah. when, you, when you do not have um, those decision makers or those green lighters or those editors um, that will um, ask about the other part of the story or that would lead with, um, you know, thinking about what is um, you know, what are multiple sides of the story, then you will have this. Uh, So uh, when you have newsrooms, respectfully, I know you work in one, (laughs) um, and and I had a weekly newspaper, but if you don't have the sensitivity and the uh, being intentional about telling more the one dimension of the story, it is very easy to, um, again, ride that wave uh, that is uh, the norm, that is historic, um, you know, that it's always been this way and we've always spoken to this person and we've always hired that person. Then these stories do not get told. We don't know as much as we should about Martha Mitchell uh, because they were very effective in demonizing her. But honestly, when you use the word complicit, um, there were some outlets that were complicit, too, that did not go and look and listen to what she was saying in real time. They chose a narrative. They embraced it. um, And then for them, that was the end of the story. But gaslit, thankfully, Um, is telling another part of the story, which hopefully will motivate those to do more research and learn about this incredibly complex woman who spoke her mind.
1: Robbie, we only have a few minutes, actually a minute. Um, Why do you think suddenly everybody's interested in Martha Mitchell? It's now the 50th anniversary of Watergate coming up and suddenly she's everywhere. Why now?
2: Well, I think the Sloverin podcast, really, uh, a lot of people listen to that podcast. And I, I think, you know, after Me Too, post Me Too, we're reexamining a lot of our history. But I don't think they're only interested in Martha Mitchell. I wanted to say, um, Minion was talking about, you know, these characters that get written out of history. You know, I've had a lot of people come up to me and talk about Frank Wills, the security guard, who who... Uh, is responsible for busting the watergate burglars and if if frank wills were white everybody would know his name and everybody in america would know it. there would be songs that, that there would be a lot more songs about frank wills but he he was black and so he was he was really relegated to the to the footnote kind of thing and we in this series are trying to bring you know Lives like Frank wills's life, or Angela Lano and and Paul Magianis, who were 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 the FBI agents and the whole Watergate task force busting all this thing stuff wide open and having the report 302 reports leaked to Woodward and Bernstein. You know, the, the, these people's stories have stories have never been told. Mo Dean's story has never been told there there's a wealth of these stories in a scandal like this that has been yes we've examined watergate so much so much over the course of history but we've examined a very narrow version of what this could be and in that sense it's a microcosm of how you know history is written it's typically written very narrowly you don't hear about the media and 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 the and the And the the movers and shakers and the people who run the country and the people who decide these things kind of settle on people. You know, it's not like a cabal. It's not like a conspiracy, but everybody kind of settles on these people. And they most of the time happen to be uh, white men. And and we're trying to tell the other stories.
1: So um, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, And I want to thank you, Robbie and Minion and Allison for joining us today. And uh, I just want to remind our audience that Gaslit will premiere on the stars on April 24th. And I will be back in just a minute with my next guest, Don Graham. So please stay with us. I want to introduce today um, Don Graham, uh, (coughs) who uh, is one of my oldest friends. Uh, He's the chairman of the board for Graham Holdings Company and founder of the Dream.us. But many of you know Don as the former publisher of the Washington Post. Um, Don, I'm so happy to have you joining us today. I wanted to um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit before about Martha Mitchell and um, because you remember those days. um, Is um, what do you think her significance was in? in the whole Watergate story in this telling of that and as you recall her during those days and how she behaved what was your what was your opinion of her then how did you feel about her
4: she was a truth teller and you and I Sally and I knew each other 50 years ago we knew each other on the day of the Watergate burglary and that day I was uh, at a weekend house with Catherine Graham, my mother, the publisher of the Washington Post, and one woman who's absolutely central to the story of Watergate, as Sally knows. And uh, if you would ask Catherine Graham, if you would ask Ben Bradley, if you'd asked Woodward and Bernstein on, in uh, 1972, right the day after Watergate, is this gonna to lead to the resignation of the president? They'd have all said, Jesus, we don't we don't think so, hell no. It took a lot of people, and Martha Mitchell was a key one, saying a lot of things that they weren't necessarily supposed to say to break that story, to to clue the country in and onto what really had happened, as you recall, Sally.
1: Yes, and I, and I remember um, it, at one point, uh, Well, it was for a long time. It was like 16 months where nobody else picked up the story except for the Washington Post. And the Washington Post was sort of hanging out there to dry and no one would touch the story. I do remember that Walter Cronkite called my husband one day, Ben Bradley, who was then the editor of the Post. And he said, okay, we're going to do a story on Watergate, but we are sending a cameraman down and we want to see documents. And Ben said, Walter, there are no documents (laughs) there's nothing to show you. And he said, well, how are we gonna do this on television? So, I mean, it was a long time and you're right, Martha was one of the few people uh, speaking out and it was clear that the emperor had no clothes. Did you, did you ever think that she was a crazy person, that she was an alcoholic, that she was
4: hysterical? I didn't know her and uh, I've known enough people in my life who appeared to have something wrong with them and turned out not to that I, I, didn't, I did not form that conclusion. No, I thought she might be none of the above. I thought she might be very, very truthful when others didn't want her to be.
1: Well, you know, I, I was looking up the word hysterical the other day. It comes from the Greek word hystera, which means womb. And it's often why women are always called hysterical and men are not. And I was thinking about um, would that happen today? And what if it were reversed? And I, I thought about George Conway, um, Kellyanne Conway's husband, Kellyanne Conway, worked for Donald Trump. And George Conway spoke out against Trump almost from the beginning and really way out there. And no one ever once said he was hysterical or crazy. So I thought well, that was an interesting comparison.
4: Another, another person you, uh, from history that you could compare to Martha Mitchell was Cassandra. The daughter of King Agamemnon, who threw out the the Iliad, keeps saying that terrible things are going to happen and no one believes her. And she's right every time and is never believed.
1: Um, Do you, uh, you know, there was a clip when David Frost did his famous um, interview with Nixon. And in the clip, Nixon said something to the effect of um, there would never have been Watergate without Martha Mitchell. And I just spoke with Bob Woodward on the telephone a few minutes before we went on, and he, he said, that's absurd. And he said, you know, the, the problem with Nixon was that he was always trying to blame other people. He was trying to take attention away from his responsibility in the story. And that Watergate, really, he was saying, happened started in 1970 with dirty tricks and the break-in of Ellsberg and, uh, and the anti-war movement. And that Martha Mitchell came on much later, but it was so it was interesting that he focused on that. Nixon did. Oh, well, without Martha, there never would have been a Watergate. What do you think about
4: that? I agree with Woodward, but Martha Mitchell was one of several key people who at a moment when no one else, when a cover up was being pretty effective, uh, spoke out. And corroborated that there was more going on here than met the eye. Sally, you and I also knew one woman who was directly threatened by the Watergate, which was Catherine Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post, the principal owner. And some of the there were threats conveyed by very important people. Yes, uh, I
1: remember those threats very well.
4: <laughs> do you remember them very well? So yeah. my Mitchell was a keeper, but Martha Mitchell was not the only important woman in the Watergate story. I only mentioned that because in line with what Mignon Clyburn was just saying, in the movie of all the president's men, uh, Catherine Graham does not appear that the paper doesn't have a publisher. So her role tends to be a little under under uh, underreported.
1: Yeah, well, there was a suggestion that Lauren Bacall play her, as I recall, when Alan Pakula did the movie. And um, and I remember your mother being excited about Lauren Bacall playing her. But then they decided that since Jason Robards was playing my husband, Ben, and they were divorced, that probably wouldn't yes,
4: work. That, that might not have worked. Too well. <laughs> yeah.
1: But in any case, uh, you're right that Kay should definitely have been portrayed in that movie. And it was a huge, uh, I thought, a huge uh, loss. Um,
4: You and I I would um, agree. Yeah, yeah. go ahead.
1: No, I I was gonna ask you, do you see any similarities between what happened in Watergate, which is now 50 years ago, and what is going on in the Republican Party and with the Trump administration with the Trump followers today?
4: Not at this time. I mean, Watergate started with a felony. Watergate started with a breaking and entering a burglary. And in Washington, D.C., people every single day were going to jail for three to five years for burglary. Uh, And to our to all of our astonishment, this uh, single burglary turned into this massive cover up. Then the disclosure of the cover up, then the disclosure of the tapes. Then the disclosure that the highest people in the land—the attorney general, the chief of staff to the president, and so on—had all been in on it, had all conspired to cover up. And finally, the the disclosure that the president was lying. Uh, so that you know there are—I'm aware that there's a New York State investigation of former President Trump. I'm aware that there's an investigation going on in the Justice Department related to January 6th. But as of this time, there's no. Similar uh, there's been no allegation that you know, if you look back at the uh, number of felonies to which me- senior members of the Nixon administration pleaded guilty, no, it's not comparable
1: Don, you were head of the Dream.us, is it dot us or dot u s
4: dot u s and .us. Lionsgate. Well,
1: tell me tell me about that.
4: It's a scholarship fund for the most discriminated against students in the United States who are the children of undocumented immigrants. Uh, We have 4,000 students in college around the United States in low-cost colleges, the city of University of New York being an example. The average of one of these students came here at the age of four. They have just one desire, which is to get educated, to remain in the United States, and to work. The largest single concentration, the largest single major among them is nursing. One of the next largest is teaching. So these are the most motivated group of students I've ever met. And Lionsgate has generously made them the beneficiary of this premiere. And I'm beyond grateful to everybody associated with the company and with STARS. So thank you to all.
1: Terrific, Don, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sally
0: Quinn.